Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Morning. Well, last week we started this into this series on family life, and family life is challenging. If you're normal, it's pretty challenging. And... Cooperation is what makes it so difficult, <laughs> getting everybody to cooperate. That's one of the major challenges. It's hard for friends to cooperate. It's hard for uh, family life, government. We're having a hard time cooperating in our government right now. Longest government shutdown in history currently. How many of you are familiar with the idea of a filibuster? It's a government term. Okay. Here's the definition. Filibuster is a word used for a person in Congress who blocks the proceedings. They take the floor and they block the, the plan. The day's agenda gets blocked while a member of Congress uh, speaks on a certain issue. And it, the first time it was used, it was in, in the 1890s to describe senators who would use the tactic of just talking a long time to block Senate business. It's just to stall things out, not allow things to progress. Here's an example of it. I want to show you a video from its... It's somewhat of a recent political filibuster. Senator Rand Paul filibustered for 13 hours, okay, <laughs> which means he talked and talked and talked and talked. You, the, the, I guess the, the parameters is you have to continue to talk. You can't sit down, and, and you've got the floor, okay? And so I want to show you this clip. Now, to talk for that long is you have to stay – pause for just one second. Uh, you know, you want to stay hydrated but not too hydrated. <laughs> you, you get hungry, and so he has a plan for his hunger. Uh, so you're going to see at a certain point, he unwraps a candy bar, starts eating a candy bar. But it kind of like crumbles, and a piece of caramel kind of drips down. And the, the senator beside him, or his assistant beside him, I can't tell if it's a senator or an assistant, sort of, sort of kind of chuckles, and then Rand Paul tries to regain his composure, and he goes on and on. You also see like a time Laps and it's going to speed up so you can see how long he's been talking. So let's go ahead and roll. This is what a filibuster looks like. To begin to filibuster John Brennan's nomination for the CIA. 11:47 a.m. Without demanding more answers from the president, the problem is, is we're never getting any more answers. Constitutional rights which had previously brought a challenge in federal court to the legality of the authorization to target Iwaki in Yemen, released the following statement. I'd like to uh, thank the senator from Utah for his expert constitutional analysis, and I rely on his uh, advice and uh, analysis of legislation and want to thank him very much for being part of this debate. I want to thank the minority leader for his uh, remarks and for his insightful questions. The question about whether or not the president has actually gotten involved with what would the rules be has actually been somewhat broached. He was asked at Google about whether this could occur and he said, well, the rules would have to be different outside than inside. I just hope that this won't be slept, swept under the rug and that this isn't the end of this, but that this is the beginning of this. 
And I would go for another 12 hours to try to break Strom Thurmond's record, but I've discovered that there are some limits to filibustering, and I'm going to have to go take care of one of those in a few minutes here. <laughs> but uh, I do uh, appreciate the Senate's uh, forbearance in this, and I, I hope that if there are some on the other side of the aisle who have been listening and feel that they may agree on some of these issues, that if they will uh, use their ability to impact the president's decision and one will say that the Senate should be trying to restrain the executive branch, Republican or Democrat, and two, will use your influence to try to tell the president to do what I think really is in his heart, and that is to say, absolutely, we're not going to be killing Americans not in a combat situation, that we will obey the Constitution, that the Fifth Amendment does apply to all Americans, and there aren't exceptions. But I thank you very much for the forbearance, and I yield the floor. Mr. President. Senator from Illinois. There will be order. Expression. There will be order. Expressions of approval or disapproval are not permitted in the Senate. I thank him for his uh, uh, spirited uh, defense of his position today and 12 hours, and I want to excuse him from the floor whenever he wishes. <laughs> I mean, he's just going on and on. He says, I want to thank the senator from Utah for his analysis you know he's got good analysis and he just goes on about he actually starts naming others and thanks them for their contribution but he sort of just goes circular with what he has to say and he's just eating up time now he his primary argument is to talk about the danger of drone strikes on american soil but his primary motive was to delay discussion and action from the day's agenda that was his primary motive to delay action. Now, what's the point of this? Why did I show, share this? I bring it up because many of us here have experienced a filibuster in family life. Something needs to be done, progress needs to be made, and someone pulls a filibuster because they don't want, you know, they don't want to do what's on the plan. They don't want to do what's on the agenda for family life. Might be you, might be some other member of your family. Just when you need people to cooperate. They don't want to get on board. So we have an arsenal. We'll call these the family filibusters. I'm going to give you four. You may have more. What I want you to do is as we walk through these, I want you to circle the one that is your go-to. So you can identify where maybe you tend to struggle most. And I'll tell you which one I struggle most with of these four. The first is this, caustic attitudes and words. To have a caustic attitude, caustic means sharp, cunning, stinging attitudes and words. Just bad attitudes, bad Bad words that, that really put people down. Here's a good example from an old movie, Home Alone, where the uncle tells his nephew, look what you did, you little jerk. How many of you remember that? And that line sort of sticks in our mind. It is a caustic remark. But when, when these words come out, it kind of causes everything to grind to a halt, creates friction, it generates major resistance, blocks cooperation. Here's another example of a family filibuster. The big sulk. What does this mean? It's a silent treatment. It's a period of gloomy, bad-tempered silence. Here's a uh, familiar, well, maybe not familiar to all of you, but to some of you. Mother-daughter. You can see the annoyance. Now, the mother-daughter feud throughout this show, they often would use these strategies of silence to avoid each other or try to manipulate someone. 
Uh, younger kids can do this. They start learning how to do silent treatment. Teenagers get really good at this. And we, we adults can skillfully use this strategy as well. Here's another one. What about sarcasm? One way to steer the boat the way we want it to go is to use sarcasm and make others feel stupid for trying to get us to do or go where they want. We get sarcastic. Now, sarcasm is easy for some. Sarcasm leaves kids confused. When parents are sarcastic with their kids, half the time the child doesn't even, they don't even pick it up. It's just over their head. And then later they, they and then they feel embarrassed because they know everyone's laughing. They're not sure what it is. So they're, they're confused and they're embarrassed. You ever notice that? Your kids don't, or that person didn't catch the sarcasm. Uh, now here's another one, tantrum. Now adults, we don't throw all out tantrums, do we? Sometimes. But what we do is we blow up in anger. We just get angry to avoid something we don't want done. A family filibuster. Now, circle of those, which, which would you say is your go-to if you had to choose one? I'm not saying develop this, by the way. We're going to talk about how to not do that. Okay. For me, it's sarcasm. It's the easiest one. It does real damage. It, it, it hurts. It causes confusion, and I have to clear it up when I do it. A family filibuster is a move to get the family to do what we want done and to block you know, progress. Now, this can happen in church. It can happen in small group. It can happen at work. Now, what is the root of these family filibusters? Here it is in the Bible. The Bible shows us that the root of filibusters, according to Proverbs 22.15, is this first word in this verse, folly. Folly is bound up. Now, don't write folly on that line there because... I'm going to give you another term that, that will be more helpful for you. But look at the verse. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly in this passage is a Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is eveleth, and it literally means stubborn selfishness. Now, that's what you can put in that line there. Stubborn selfishness is the root of family filibusters. Stubborn selfishness is bound up in the heart of a child. So basically... Arriving on planet Earth, and we have this need to get what we want in life. I want what I want. You see it really early on in children. Before language comes, <laughs> they're determined to have their way in life. It's bound up in the heart of a child. And here's a familiar example. You might see this on a playground. We have a video. It's, it's sort of a carjacking video. Okay? Here you go. Different language. <laughs> no, Finn. Finn, do smash. Bonk. No. <laughs> now, it's cute, huh? Parents aren't laughing that much, though. <laughs> That's not, because it gets ugly very fast when this is going on, and, and it robs the joy in family life. Now look back at that verse. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Bound describes when something is tied or you bind something tightly with a rope. Okay, Stubborn selfishness is 
in our hearts. It's tied in, up in our hearts. You could use that same word for bound to describe when someone is conspiring together with someone or they're allied together. You've, you're, you're working together. And so stubborn selfishness is so much a part of who we are we can't even distinguish. What, you know, it's, it just feels so natural to be stubbornly selfish. But according to this verse, we need to cut ties with it. It's bound up. It needs to be, we need to cut ties with it and make some distance, put some distance between us, which is why the verse says folly needs to be driven out. Now, it sure helps if folly is driven out of our hearts when we're younger, but in many cases it's not. Many, in many cases, it does not go challenged. Parents don't challenge this always in us when we were kids. And the stubbornness can go unchallenged for years and years. Now, to drive something out means that something was once at home in your heart, and then it becomes like a distant relative. It'd be like some irresponsible relative who comes and arrives at your house unannounced with bags and says, I'm moving in for a while. I go, okay, your family, you let them in. It gets, and it bugs you after a while, and you finally say, you need to get out. And they get out, and it, they become a distant relative. They were at home at one point, but then you say, no, now they're out of the house. They're distant. This is really the idea. Is you want it to be driven out. You don't want it to feel like, oh, I'm just okay. It's, I'm at home with this. Now, what, what is it that drives the folly out is this. It's the rod of discipline. You see that there? The rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, that refers to some form of corrective instruction, the rod of discipline, some type of corrective instruction. It's painful. That's the reference to the rod there. It's something painful. Now, as we get older, it changes how discipline actually looks in our lives, uh, changes through the years. Little, little Sven there, Sven, little carjacker from the toddler carjacking video. It's cute, but, but Sven needs some discipline. If this continues and the selfishness goes unchallenged, it leads to, to problems. If he gets into school years and he's, he starts taking people's binders and pencils when he can't find his own, well, Sven's got a problem. If he goes into high school and he decides to take someone's girlfriend, Sven's going to have a problem. If he goes to adulthood and he crosses lines because he just has to have what he wants, stubborn selfishness means I want what I want, and you're not going to stop me. Well, this leads to all sorts of problems for adult Sven because that doesn't work well to cooperate in environments. So the way that we're disciplined may change through the years from young kids to teens to older teens to adults. But even as adults, we, we get disciplined. We get dip, disciplined in ways that hurt for months and years. I remember sometimes I get disciplined as a kid and it's like, okay, it's gone away, and, and, but it, it, it got my attention. But as adults, sometimes it, it doesn't go away, the discipline that comes when we decide to be stubbornly selfish. The pain endures for a long time when we persist in getting what we want in life. Sometimes it comes through a major loss of privilege. Sometimes it comes through a major financial cost that we're paying for a long, long time. In some cases, jail time comes up as a result of being disciplined for determining, I need to get what I want here. Some people serve jail time. But discipline, God says, is what prevents this from growing into more damaging problems. Now, I was trying to think back to how I was disciplined or what that was like for me and, and call my dad, call my mom. My sister called me and said, oh, I heard you want some spanking stories or something like that. I said, yeah, what do you remember about that? I don't have the greatest memory about all this. She said, well, I do remember a time when we were both 
fighting. We were at grandparents' house, and mom took us into uh, a bedroom, and, and, and we got in trouble. And uh, she said, I, I was being spanked, and you were laughing because you said, that's not hard enough. <laughs> and, and then I paid for that. So, but I, I, you know, I'm pretty sure I deserved my discipline as well. Uh, I talked to my mom, and she actually said, you know, Josh, it was really difficult. It was a difficult area because uh, she said, well, one, you were pretty compliant as a kid. But it was really difficult because my mom comes from an abusive family. And so she said it was very, very difficult for me to, to, to discipline you guys and to figure out how to do this appropriately. And so she said, because my, all my memories were my parents being out of hand with that. Her parents were often drunk and, 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 and they went way too far. She was taken from her home several times and placed with relatives. And so she said, so it was so difficult. I was determined not to become an abusive mom. She said, I need a lot of coaching, but people coached me on how to. And so now what I don't want to do is make light of this challenging area. I realize that you might be someone who can identify with what my mom experienced. And so if that's your story, and you need to work through that because you're stuck. And so understanding, maybe you're trying to parent and you're, you're wrestling through this issue because uh, you know maybe your children need corrective instruction, but you're not quite sure how to do that. Get some coaching. Maybe talk with one of our group leaders. Start there. If you're not involved in a small group, talk with one of our pastoral staff. And, and the point here is that discipline is the only way to deal with the stubborn selfishness that is bound up in our heart. God uses discipline to help us grow past this. And we need to because of these uh, things. This damages family life. Look at the damage done, according to Scripture. It brings the house down. Proverbs 14, verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but the, with her own hands the foolish one tears hers down. Again, the foolish one is referring there to a stubbornly selfish person, tearing her house down. God wants us to build ours up. We can tear it down quite easily. Stubborn selfishness shows up in caustic attitudes and words. It tears family life down. The contrast is someone who, who builds family life up in their actions and with their words. The New Testament actually commands Christ followers in this way. Ephesians 4.29 says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I don't know about you, but I need help with this. Look at how specific this verse is. If everything is supposed to build others up, then I need God's help with this. If nothing unwholesome is to come out of my mouth, meaning if there shouldn't be anything, I have all sorts of thoughts that are going to tear the house down that come to my mind. If I could just keep them in the thought realm and clasp my hand over my mouth, that would really help. So we need, we need God's help because of how specific he wants us to get in this. Now, a second way these filibusters damage the house is that words are not heard. When there's a stubbornly selfish family member who's just determined to have their way, people don't listen. The opposite is, is this verse, Proverbs 16, verse 22. Understanding is, is a fountain of life to those who have it, but folly brings punishment to fools. When you relate and you have good sense and good understanding, then your understanding is like, a, it's like a fountain of life. It blesses everyone in the family. It blesses people. They're rewarded from, from the relationship that they have with you, and they draw often from the fountain of your words and your actions. They draw from that. But when we relate with stubborn selfishness, people plug their ears. They stop listening to us. If they see the pattern, is, it's all about just you and you getting what you want. They plug their ears. Words are not heard. More damage is done 
it, it actually, stubborn selfishness actually rips individuals apart. It just can sever relationships. People, through stubborn selfishness, sometimes don't talk for years to family members. Proverbs 17, verse 12, interesting image here. Better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his folly. I don't know if I want, I don't want to meet a bear robbed of her cubs. This is a picture of, you come across a mama bear, do you pet her cubs on a hike? No. The mama bear rip you apart, literally. But this kind of foolish strategy does the same thing. The Hebrew word here for fool in his folly, that word folly there is eveleth, so it's stubborn selfishness. But the word fool is a different Hebrew term. It's the term kasil, and it means an easy way or a lazy way. Someone who chooses the easy course in life, the lazy course in life. So what this, what this means is, and sarcasm is, is one way that we choose the lazy way in life. Sarcasm grows out of laziness. Sarcasm is actually a lazy, a, a lazy man's way to make a point. It's so much easier to make a sarcastic remark than to try to control someone's actions or to try to get you know, people to do what we want. It's easy to just be sarcastic, but it's, it's not engaging with what God wants. We're taking an easy way out. And with our kids, it doesn't train them. It just it confuses them. With our spouses, it fosters animosity. I entered marriage with a sarcastic edge, and, and that's just not compatible in marriage. And so it's been almost 20 years of marriage, and, and I wish I could say, yeah, I don't, I'm not sarcastic anymore. No, I still have to battle that back because it's, such a, it's, it's so easy for those thoughts to just come up to say something witty or cutting or sarcastic. Finally, selfishness leads to ruin. Proverbs 19.3, a man's own folly ruins his life. This word ruin, it just means causes the downfall. It's our stubborn selfishness that can destroy our lives. Yet, his heart rages against the Lord. In other words, if you're looking for the fastest way to tear down your life, it's stubborn selfishness. This brings us to ruin. And then we get angry at God. It's not God's fault. We can't blame God. He actually wants us to help us grow out of this. Rather than getting discouraged, turn to God. Turn to God. God wants to show us how to work through family filibusters. He wants to show you how to do that. There was a prophet named Hosea. He was one of God's spokespersons to God's people who had been very rebellious. God's people, the Israelites, were very rebellious. And Hosea's role was to be a prophet for about 40 years, from 755 to 715 B.C. And the book of Hosea gives an amazing picture of God's patience with a very rebellious group of people, with a very stubbornly selfish group of people who cycle back into sin, and yet God is amazingly patient with them. And here is God's own description of the way he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. Hosea 11.4, through the prophet God speaks, I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck. I, I, I drew them out of slavery. I brought them out of slavery. I bent down to feed them. God's saying, this is the way I, I love my people. I led them with, with cords of kindness, with bands of love. Now here's a picture. I'm sure you've pulled a wagon or sat in a wagon before. Someone's carried you around in one of these things. Now, is it easier, if you need to, to go in a straight line, is it easier to direct a wagon by pulling it or pushing it with the handle? What's easier? 
to pull it, to stay on an exact line. It's hard. If you, if you push it real fast, what happens? It jackknifes, right? Real quick. If you pull it, you can pull it in a straight line. This is how people are. You pull people forward through acts of kindness. Now, this is how God interacts with us. He, he, he leads us forward through acts of kindness. We don't control people with, with harsh, cutting words. No, we, we cooperate in family life as, as we choose kindness. People are drawn forward. This is how God has loved us. Back at Hosea 11.4, I, I, I led them with cords of love. This is how family life works. This is how God demonstrates his love to us. This is how we demonstrate that love to others. Here's another passage from the New Testament where Paul's writing a letter to the early church in Rome, underscoring the same principle. Look at Romans 2, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes this, So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them, them is referring to chapter 1 of Romans, which describes people who don't factor God into life at all. When you pass judgment on people who don't factor God into life at all, and yet you do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Paul's writing, essentially, do you think God is not offended at, at your sin, yet you're offended at their sin, at other people's sin? He asks this question. Or do you show contempt? Contempt means to look down on someone. So do you show contempt at God for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Paul's asking this question, sort of a rhetorical question. Of course we don't despise God for being kind to us. We're grateful. But the selfishness that family filibusters grows out of creates a judgmental atmosphere in the home. And we have no legitimate right to judge, to think less of people in our family. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance along with his patience. That's a lesson for us. Now, at at their core, the best relationships grow from mutual acts of kindness. This is how you, you come up with the best relationships. Mutual acts of kindness. Kindness is goodness. In case you need a definition for kindness. Kindness is goodness that expresses itself in action. It's active. It's not just being nice, but it's, it's taking action. And here's how we grow in kindness, sort of like a relay race. We receive kindness. Have you ever been in a race where you're running and you're passing a baton? You receive kindness from God, and you experience that kindness, and then you pass that on to people in your life. You pass that baton of kindness. You receive God's kindness. You pass on God's kindness. What this means is if we want the best relationships, we, we need to keep growing in our walk with God. We need to keep turning to God and receiving his kindness, getting to know him deeply, letting him change us. We can't control anyone else. We focus on our part of the equation. But as we wrap up, I want to show you a picture of something we call the, the pillars of life. This uncovers what we need to develop in, in life. We're born, and over time we begin to develop in these different areas that will support the weight of a life. If you're a parent, you're trying to develop these things in your children. But you also want to grow in these yourself. If you look back at your life, in a sense, these are, are the, the pillars that have helped us build and support the weight of a life. So the first one, to some extent, you can, you can trace these through your own upbringing and development. And the first one is the physical. Or smaller parents are paying attention to the physical development. Then we go to school, we begin to focus on our mental development. 
As time goes on, we start growing socially. So there's a development of our social skills, our social life. We begin to relate to people. But that brings all sorts of ups and downs. Eventually, we need to, to be trained on how to deal with our emotional There's this emotional pillar. We need emotional growth where we learn to manage our emotions. Then finally, there's this, there's this pillar in the center of the building that bears more weight than any other. It's a spiritual pillar. It's something we tend to ignore in our culture, spiritual. But it determines what a person becomes. It determines how he bears the weight of trouble, how he or she handles all of life. This is the overlooked pillar in our culture, the spiritual development it's often overlooked in our kids certainly in our own lives we often neglect the spiritual and here's why it's so critical it's because it's the spirit of a person that determines how we deal with life look at proverbs 18 verse 14 a man's spirit sustains him in sickness but a crushed spirit who can bear the the implication is that a healthy spirit sustains us when we're in trouble and it's God's kindness. It's through spending time with God, experiencing His loving kindness, that it strengthens and it fortifies our spirit. And we need that. We need God's help. And the very best thing we can do for our family to be all that it can be is to develop our own spiritual life first. If you're trying to develop others, focus first on developing your spiritual life and then you can do well to train up those that are in your family, if you're a parent. We'll never have a perfect family, but we can, we can grow to become more ideal. And the Bible teaches that the foundational building block of societies and communities is family. And so this is extremely important. And the values that you and the habits that you put on in your spiritual life, that will spill over to make a difference in all of your relationships at work, among friends, in your neighborhoods. Because... You probably heard it said before, wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So you want to keep developing your spiritual life. And that will be a blessing to the people all around you. So let's pray together as we wrap up. Father, thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, these verses in Proverbs really do cut to the heart of uh, a picture of what you desire for us. And you contrast in these verses your way versus our way and what comes natural to us. Lord, we ask you to lead us out of habits that are stubbornly selfish. For those things that you've identified in our, in our minds today, I pray that we would jot down some action steps and really think through ways we can take this home and, and continue to grow in these areas. We pray for our families, pray for our relationships, Lord, that you'd strengthen and grow us to experience more and more mutual acts of kindness. Lord, help it start even today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.